First of all, let's all activate our hearing in the Lord if we haven't already done it. Father, we've got ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And we are proactively wearing the whole armor of God, which includes the shield of faith. And when we wear the shield of faith, it quenches every fiery dart. So any place I may say something that is going to be scripture and you're offended, you'll quickly let it loose. Because Acts 24, 16 says, Herein do I exercise myself to be found void of all offense towards God and men. So if there's something that I share... And you, and you say, well, that's not me. And I say, well, stop that. It is because Jesus lives in you. Instead of getting upset with me and limiting your understanding, just say, God, would you promise each one of me promise today at this time in history, you know that God has foreseen all of your days. Is that true? Yes or no? Yes. Has, did he know you'd be here this morning? Yes. Okay, that I am believing in Jesus' name for Luke 640 to become a reality and a revelation in all of our hearts. And this is red, laid, red letter. Jesus said, those who are taught will be like their teacher. So who are we supposed to be like? Okay, nothing less in Jesus' name. Okay, so I want to start with just a couple of questions. And the first one is this. Is it enough for us to just be a believer? Who thinks yes? Oh, good. No brave ones. <laughs> okay. The reason why I've, I've really been meditating on this a lot, because I have such a hunger to see the Lord receive the reward of his suffering. It cost him everything to come where flesh, live in a human body, to suffer persecution and be called a drunk and be Azelbub and to be betrayed by one of his own disciples and offered up his perfect, sinless, loving body to a gruesome death, so he could attain for each one of us redemption. Only his blood could do, only his blood could do what it has done for each one of us. And so I'm praying today that you would understand that as Jesus and I would understand that it is not just enough to believe. The word believe in the Bible is the word mean having faith or entrusting one's spiritual being to, you know, the deity of God. But to be a disciple Actually, what's the Greek word that means um, learner? So if we are a disciple, we are in a continual, I can't get out of the focus. We, we have to be in a continual progression of learning to die to ourself, decrease in our own being, the ungodly ways, the, un, uh, the soulish ways, the things in our nature, the motivations of our heart that are not like him. So what was the Lord's last admonition to his disciples before he ascended to heaven after his resurrection. If you were here last night, you know what it is. What? Go and make disciples. So it's in Matthew 28, if you want to look at it later, 18 and 20, it says, And Jesus came, I've given, I have all authority uh, in heaven and earth. It's been given to me. And so now I'm saying you go and make disciples. You go, you go, you go. So who did he leave out in that equation? Amen. So what I, my prayer today, and I received several prophetic words before the service about uh, words being fire and a sword. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. It's a double-edged sword. It's active. That word, if you study in the Greek, means single stroke. That the sword of the Lord, the word of God can come into our heart, penetrating it. And why is it double-edged? Because it brings in what it needs to deposit and pulls out what needs to come out. 
when we have areas of understanding in our soul, in our mind, in our feelings, in our being that are not lined up with the word of God. Remember, you already promised me you're going to agree to agree with God. And Luke 640, we bring it to subjection. We, we refuse, we refuse, we refuse, we refuse to allow anything in our life, our being, our mindset, our walk with Christ that is not in the word of God to, be, to have any room in us. Um, I noticed last night I said that um, Satan only has access to darkness. And I felt in my spirit, what I try to do when I teach is I'm not only listening to the spirit of God, but I'm, I'm listening to the souls. Because often in the Bible it'll say, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said this. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, perceiving, asked them this. And Peter and James, perceiving he had faith. So our souls have a message. And when they are not aligned with the word of God, I want to know it because I want to come against that objection in the spirit. So when I see uh, somebody, I said, and Satan only has, he only has authority to eat dust. The Bible says he gets to eat dust all the days. He only has authority toward, to darkness. And so if we have darkness in us, he has access. How many people, you can feel free to raise your hand, know people in the body of Christ, people that claim to be Christians who have blind spots about their weakness, errors, flaws, blah, blah, blah. You, anybody know anyone? <laughs> Only three of us. Wow, no. Okay. I'm kidding. Because I, I, anybody who knows me knows that I am very uh, cued into wanting everybody to live super holy. I mean, like, like it, not because it's a legalistic thing, not because, you know, I'm afraid that God might strike me down or anything, but because we love him. Because he's our love. And the Bible says when we love him, and his, uh, his word abides in us, we want to keep his word. We want to obey his commands because he's so, we're so deeply in love with who he is when we understand what it costs him to liberate us from sin and death and the grave and limited thinking. So his last admonition, you're going to be a disciple. Okay, it's known as the Great Commission. I have a question. Did the Great Commission ever change? Okay, so who's going to go out and make disciples in this group? Uh, and some already are. But if you're just, if, I mean, some people will be content to remain a believer. And the word says in Jude, some will enter heaven with the smell of smoke on their garments. If you want that to be you, just say, God forbid, that's not going to be me. Say it right now if it's you. There are a lot of people that are content just to have God know them, save them, and deliver them, snatch them from the fire. But if they never give him anything back, like their life, because that's what we're commanded to do. There needs to be a great exchange when we come to the cross. And the, the exchange is this. We give him our garbage, and he gives us his glory. We give him the good, the bad, and the ugly. We don't wait till we clean ourselves up. We, we come to him because we know that he loves us. We don't come beaten up. And, you know, I remember the day I got saved when I was five. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, I came to the altar and sobbed for two and a half hours. The pastor gave my parents the keys and said, lock up when she's done. I mean, I just had such a download of how much he loved me and how much I personally put him on the cross because of my sin. And I was a good kid, but I knew he had to die for me. The more personally you'll own his sacrifice, the more personally you will meditate and on his goodness and what it cost him to liberate you to live like him in the earth. 
you'll grab a hold of that. So, oh, I've got so many notes. Okay. Um, I'm going to give a few examples of what I believe the Lord has shown me a true disciple looks like. And um, this is obviously not an exhaustive study. Feel free to add to your, your list of what you feel it is. But number one, and above all else, is they walk in love. They love. The Bible says we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the Bible says, by this shall you know men are my disciples. Not that they're believers, that they're my disciples, that they love one another. So we are commended by God to love people. Not if we like them, not if their personalities don't rub us the wrong way, not if they're on the left and we're not. We, we are to commanded to love people. Number two, and this is a often sorely lacking thing that I see, the word of God is a true disciple's plumb line. My children are going to put on my epitaph when I die. They've told me this many times. Give me a scripture for that. <laughs> and I, I, I'm going to share something, and, I, and I'm just going to pray that nobody gets condemned through this, but I feel like sometimes people, I'll hear people say to me, well, God just understands you know, I can't stand my husband anymore. Or God just knows I need to be happy. God just knows. Uh, God just knows. Let me just warn you right now. If your pronoun begins with how I feel and what God needs to know about you instead of the other way around, you are on sinking sand. We are here to let the Bible interpret us. Do I line up with the word? Do I, are my attitudes, are my motivations what I see written? I don't get to say, well, God just knows I have this stronghold. It's not that bad. I was watching, I was reading Facebook the other day, and it was a Christian asking what, what, are, what binge-worthy TV, TV shows are worth. I was like aghast at what I saw in there, other Christians putting. I've not seen them, but I've seen trailers of them. I just binge Little House on the Prairie if you want to go for a real good binge. Every other uh, show is about the Bible and the Word of God. Anyway, so the plumb line is because the Word says, if you continue, not if you did once, if you continue and abide in my Word, then you're my disciples indeed. So there's a continual progression. Many of you know I've taught this m multiple times, but the word for sheep in the Greek, it's not you know, meh, eh, eh, a little woolly creature. The word in the Greek for sheep is something moving forward. If we are following the master, we are progressing, we are continually learning, and we are always striving in our heart. And I don't mean in a bad striving, but I mean a, a pure place of adoration for him, looking for ways to live by faith, to... Um, let our light so shine before men that, that men see our good works and they know that they're from him and then they glorify God. So d disciples continue learning, they continue maturing and the word says that they are prepared in and out of season to preach and to teach. So how many people in here are going to sign up to be ready to preach or teach? Okay, I need more hands. Everybody needs to raise their hand. Everybody, let me tell you why. The Bible says the harvest, are the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Do you know what the word laborer there means? Teacher. Teacher. Now that doesn't mean you have to stand up here, but you can have one-on-one, -on -one, a coworker, your own children, 
your neighborhood. You can believe God for your workplace. I could tell literally hours worth of testimonies of just believing God for people and lives and, and just people getting saved. Uh, okay, disciples, number four, disciples fellowship with and encourage each other. And not just other disciples, but the lost, believers, and they live so radically by faith that they are submitted to authority. The Bible says, I can tell you, the, the true disciples that I know in my life, the people that I have seen and witnessed over 10, 20, 30, 40 years, that really have there's been such a transformation of character, of power, of nature. All in some ways in their life have lived submitted and accountable. I don't care if it's a prayer group, a home fellowship group, uh, being mentored by their pastor or leaders. They're not lone wolves. There are no lone wolves in the body of Christ. You notice I said wolf? If you desire to be a lone sheep, you might look at your suit when you get home. And... God never intended us to be on our own. There is a reason why he calls it the body of Christ, an arm, a leg, a nose, you know, a mouth, a foot, all fit together in the right way, every part playing its part, connected where it needs to be. The Bible says if one member, if one part of us suffers, we all suffer. So if you decide you don't want to do your part, now this is where you have to be effectively guarding your heart about being offended. Say, I promise I won't be offended. Okay. If you are not actively seeking what your part is in the body of Christ and implementing it, you need to, you need to go home and have a serious talk with yourself. And the Bible, there's, there's a, the Bible says there's a gift of godly sorrow that leads to true repentance. And it leads to an absolute transformation on in our inner man. It's not like the world's sorrow where we go home and beat ourselves up and say, well, I just can't do that, I'm shy, or I can't this or whatever. We submit to the word of God because when we look at ourselves as the answer, like I, I've had people say, well, they asked me to go pray for that person that had cancer, or they, I've never prayed with anybody for cancer, or they asked me to counsel that couple going through divorce or whatever. And I said, whenever you look back at yourself, you will always either feel like, well, I got this under control, or I can't do this, I can't do this. We are not the person to be looking at. There's, a, there's one of my favorite scriptures is Galatians 2.20. I'm sure you all know it. It's Paul saying, I have been, we have been, you have been, you have been, you have been, you have been crucified with Christ. Now it's no longer I that live. I don't live anymore. The life I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gets to live himself through me in the earth every day to bring God glory. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? So disciples, another category, disciples understand that there is a daily, sometimes moment by moment, dying to oneself. They understand that there are times of sacrifice. There are times of suffering. Most people don't want to hear that, but the word is replete with examples of when you suffer for righteousness sake, when you're persecuted, and people want to avoid it. We are creatures of, um, you know, the Bible says that his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So because he created us, we do want to seek pleasure. But when we seek that pleasure outside of his will, it's death. But when we seek 
the pleasure that he created us to have at his right hand, there is always a comfort and a joy and a strengthening that comes from abiding in him that no amount of money, no prestige, no person, no anything can replace. There's nothing, nothing. When we were singing that song, Jesus is my everything, that is my prayer for every believer who becomes his disciple, that he's everything. He's everything. He's more than enough, continuously more than enough. And number six, they desire to be a faithful witness. How many people know what the witness means in Greek? Being a witness for the Lord. The word's in the New Testament many, many times. It's the word martyr. Say, yay, I'm signing up to be a martyr. <laughs> There's five crowns that we can win in this life of running our race, five. One of them is the martyr's crown. If I get that one, it's great, but I want, I want to lay them all at his feet at the end of my race. Because when we are in a relationship with Christ, it should be reciprocal. It shouldn't be about him granting all my prayers, fixing my family, fixing this, healing me. What do I give him back? What, what price can I give him to repay him? There's no price I can give him. All he wants is my life, my all. All he wants is your life, your all. And it is a daily decision to die to yourself. It's a, the Bible says deny yourself. In fact, the Bible says this is kind of hard. If you do not deny yourself and take up your cross, you're not his disciple. Say, oh, Jesus, that's not me. That's Luke 9.23 for anybody keeping track. Okay. Paul said, Paul, I love Paul. He's like, I used to not, when I first was a believer, a believer before I became a disciple and I'd read the word. I used to read Paul and he bugged the crud out of me. I am sorry. It's like always you did that. Never you did that. It's like his superlatives drove me nuts. I always prayed for you night and day for years with tears. I was like, really? You did. It? And I know it's got to be true because it's in the Bible. I believe the Bible is the word of God. So if it said always and never, and it used to just drive me nuts. Now I adore Paul. I adore Paul. I thank God that when he was called in Acts 9 like this, here's Paul. He's my chosen instrument. I want to show him how much he gets to suffer for my namesake. Who's signing up for that call? Say me. Whatever it takes. And number seven, um, and this is, I'm not saying there's a biblical thing for this. It's just my interpretation of the real disciple. They are eager to see the Lord receive the reward of his suffering. So they're always about their father's business. They're seeing what he sees, hearing what he says, and they live to expand his kingdom daily. They have their eyes fixed on the eternal, co-laboring with Christ to see many souls won, to see many souls healed, many delivered, and discipled as possible. They are co-laboring warriors. Say, I'm a warrior. And part of the warring that we do, the Bible says, for this purpose, Christ was made manifest to destroy the work of the evil one. Not to knock it down so it can rise back up, but to destroy it. The word of God coming from our mouth destroys darkness, destroys demonic strongholds. And a previous teaching I did about, um, you know, the weapons of our warfare, the principalities and powers. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Remember this. The word wrestle in the Greek means vibrate. It's vibration. 
That's all it is. It's not like we outmaneuver the devil. We sneak around him. You know, what are we out? All it means is we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's vibration. Vibrate. Do you know what sound is? Vibration moving through the air. When we agree to make a covenant with our lips, because his loving kindness is better than life, these lips will praise him. We make a covenant with our lips. There'll be no complaining or murmuring found in us. Because he says if we don't murmur, we don't complain, we will shine like stars in the universe, holding out the word of life in a crooked and perverse generation. You can make a covenant with your lips to not let unwholesome talk come from your mouth. I was talking to somebody recently. They have a really kind of a potty mouth. How many, and people that know me know have, in love, I have no problem confronting people that claim the name of Christ and don't live like it. So nobody ever calls me if they want to hear the truth. I can just, unless they want to hear the truth. And I just said, I don't understand why you use profanity like this. Well, I'm trying to make my point. It takes this to make my point. And I said, give me a scripture for that. I can give you several that say quite the opposite. So if you have a potty mouth, repent. Say amen. So I wanted to take this last half of the portion to just through um, experience of, you know, over 40 years walking with the Lord. I'm not 45. I know I said I got saved with high five. There was a lapse in between. <laughs> I'm almost 70. But I waited till I was like 26 to fully give him my whole heart. So roadblocks to becoming disciples. And the maturity that Christ intends each of us. says I, uh, he, he covets that we would be mature. We would be made perfect as he's perfect. And that takes a daily surrender, and it takes the word of God to renew our mind. The washing of the water of the word, it will renew your mind. So number one, the first thing I've seen many times is a lack of complete surrender. If you are here today and you have never completely surrendered your life to the Lord, today is your day to do so. And the Bible says, in Luke uh, 14, 26, it says, Forsake, forsaking all. You have to forsake everything or we cannot be his disciples. Now, does that mean we can't have a home? We can't have a family? Of course, that's not what it means. I know you know what that means. It's the pr that he gets the preeminent place in our life. We don't live to get anything. We, we live for God. We live to seek him and his righteousness. Then everything else gets added. But we don't live first, oh, when I just get married, I'll be happy. Or when I just get this job or get this house. No, we live for him and to bring him glory. And number two, somebody questioned me last night about why I had these combined. But I felt like I started to separate them and the Lord said, no, leave it. And I had the second block, I, roadblock I see to people truly becoming disciples like I see and witness in the New Testament are fear and pride. And you'll say, well, why did you put those together? Well, I think fear is pride. And let me tell you why. When, and let's, let's start at the beginning. We know where in the very beginning, the Bible says that Satan was sinning from the beginning. He was prideful. He wanted all the glory. He wanted all the worship instead of God. He wanted it. So it was pride. What did he do when he came to deceive Eve and, and uh, Adam in the garden? He said, oh, I know God said you'll die, but you're not going to die. So what did Eve do? Instead of trusting the loving father who had already said, you know, don't eat this, don't do this, she allowed her reasoning, the devil's explanation, her thought life to be exalted above the word of God. Whenever we do that, that is pride. Always it's pride if you exalt what you feel, think, 
reason, your intellect. The Bible, if, well, I'll get to that. We, when we put the, our words, our thoughts, well, I can't do that because I'm shy. Really? The Bible says you, he hasn't given you a spirit of timidity, but one of power, one of love, and a sound mind. So is your reality your experience, or is it what he says? When we begin to only agree with God and what he says, we shift inside. I'll never forget the night. It's been over 30 years. In the middle of the night, the Lord literally with his finger wrote on my bedroom wall, Ephesians 5, 26. And I still do this. I still get up and read the word through the night. I mean, I love it. I just, I feel like I probably should get more sleep, but I just like every 20 minutes I'm studying this and studying that because the word is so good. Ephesians 5, 26, you know what it says? The washing of the water of the word will renew your mind. Because he took the time to write it with his finger on my wall, I took it seriously. So I start, I begin to declare over my life, I am a word addict. I am a word addict. And it says later on in scripture, I posted this, it says, and um, the they, they, they were addicted to the ministry of the saints. There's good addictions in the word of God, people. They were addicted to ministering to the saints. That should be another goal for a disciple. Okay, so fear and pride. Okay, exalting one's understanding above the word of God, limiting the power of the gospel to transform, transform not only their life, but others. Meaning you see somebody walk in continual weakness. So instead of like Jesus, who's seeing Peter's re repeatedly prideful state of being. I mean, I was studying the other day, and it's one little passage you know, where Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Not only did he go on to do that, but in that little passage, he, he like three times called Jesus a liar. You know, everybody else might forsake you. Not me. I'm in with you, Jesus. He couldn't, he, he couldn't even make it to, to get to the three times. He was already calling Jesus. Can you imagine calling Jesus a liar? That's what you do when you say, I can't do that. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Who are you looking at when you say, I cannot do that? Are you looking at your ability or God's in you? Christ will strengthen you. He, when you look to him, and I was thinking, I was talking with my friends after dinner last night. There's a passage, I think it's in Matthew 5, I'm not positive, about the centurion's faith. And it was talking about he needed his servant healed. And he was telling Jesus, I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. You don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy. Just say the word. And Jesus says, I think it's Matthew 540. It said, and I just pray, I know there's a number of you that are going to grab a hold of this. And Jesus was marveled at his faith. Marveled. The day I read that, it's been over 25 years, I said, Lord, I want to marvel you with my faith. I want to astound you with my ability to trust you and believe you. And how many people know he'll give you a test, like right away? I was in Europe teaching, and the interpreter's telling me everything they're saying, and uh, the interpreter just said, they said, after the service, and there was like over 1,300 people there, Mary Vaughn will interpret your dreams. And I remember thinking, I've never interpreted a dream in my whole life. <laughs> Yahoo, God! I was so excited because I knew. And this is what you have to grasp. When you know the love of God is one of my points. Uh, uh, 
lack of revelation of God's love and his word will prevent us from being a real disciple. When you know his love for you, nothing shakes you. Nothing shakes you. Not the Mark 4 Gadarene storm. They're in the storm. Jesus said, come on, we're going to the other side. Let's go. They're all in the middle of the storm. Don't even care if we die. Do you know what he said to them? If I said this to anybody, I'd probably get kicked out of church. Why don't you have any faith? Not why is your faith little. Why do you have no faith? How can we question when the Lord says something? How can we, little mere clay, say to the potter, oh, we're not going to the other side. There's a raging storm. You don't even care if I perish. God forbid it be you. God forbid it be me. We want to marvel him with our faith. So shortly after I'm in Europe, they say, she'll interpret your dreams. So because I know God has seen every one of my days, how many of you know in this room, before you were formed, he saw you in your mother's womb. He has seen all of your todays, all of your yesterdays, all of your tomorrows, all the grace, all the strength, all the faith you need every day to live an overcoming life. He's already supplied because he's, he's given you all of his riches and glory, all of them, not some, all. So I said, Father, not only do I want to be able to interpret these dreams, tell me their dreams like Daniel. And he did. Every person that came up, I said, I see you flying. You got, you're in a red airplane. He gave me every person's dream in the interpretation. Now, is it because I'm special? Say no. It's because I know the one who gave them the dream. He lives in me. He lives in you. So, number three. Many times people are ignorant of the devil's schemes. So they remain broken and in bondage to strongholds, allowing the enemy access to their thought life. And this is where I said last night, I said the enemy only has access to darkness, and I felt somebody's soul question what I said, and I didn't address it then, but I will just tell you this. One of my favorite scriptures, oh, I've got to find it. It's, uh, I think it's John 14:30. And when I read this decades ago, I said, Lord, let it be me. Jesus said in John 14:30, the enemy has come. He's here. He's coming. He's in the world. And he's found no place in me. He's found no place in me. Not in a motivation. Not in a thought. Not in an attitude. Not in an unforgiveness. Not in a keeping a record of wrong. Not even failing to hope because love hopes always. Love bears all things. It's always long-suffering. It just keeps on loving. And when we're like Jesus, that's what we want. We want to learn to love like him because that is the preeminent thing for a disciple that we love. So we let Jesus call us up short. I feel like some people in this room, some people in the earth need to get ruthless. And I mean ruthless with sin. The Bible says in Matthew 8, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. We don't nurse sin, and pride is sin. I have a friend who used to say, you know, the enemy, or the God isn't out to, you know, wound your pride or stroke it and help you through it. He's out to kill it. Okay. And number five, people, uh, and to surrender daily to the Lord and die, you cannot live for temporal and carnal motivations. You must live for the eternal ones. And I've got lots of scriptures to back these up, but I want to uh, take this time to just say, 
I, and I've said this every time I've ever preached in my whole life, if I ever had a do-over with my kids, it would be this. I assumed, because everybody that says, I thought every Christian believed the Bible was true 100%, and that we are to line ourselves up with the word, I thought every Christian lived to take thoughts captive. I just thought it was automatic. I mean, it's something God, I don't know if God gave me a gift. I know I have the gift of faith, so I just automatically, if the word said it, it's not how I felt or did or w wanted. I'm going to have you put up that faith thing. Is, oh, does David have that still? Anyway, it's, it's going to come up there. Okay, faith. What does it mean to live by faith? This is part of what it means. Living by faith requires that we always, and not sometimes, always filter and discipline our feelings, our thoughts, our opinions, and our reasons through God's word alone. Always asking ourselves this question, what does the Lord say? What does the Lord say? Not what do I feel, what do I think, what does the Lord say? And then the Lord, I woke up the other morning, and this is the anachronism I got. <laughs> feelings always interpreted through the Holy Bible. If you will do that, you will never, you will never, ever, ever, you filter everything through the word of God, you will not be deceived. That's a good word of caution. Okay, so um, I would have taught, I, I said if I could have a do-over with my kids, I would have taught them how to, t to take thoughts captive. I just thought people did it. Well, here's how, what makes it really easy. It says in Psalm 19, David said this, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The more word you have in your heart, the easier it is not to sin against him. I was mentioning last night, my conviction meter is like off the charts, like uh, watching too many Little House on the Prairie show, I felt convicted. I mean, I feel convicted about everything. So, and it's not, and I know the difference between condemnation and conviction. So um, how do you take thoughts captive? Well, the Bible says you do this. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. The weapons, remember, of our warfare are not carnal. So our, our speech, our vibration, the words that come out of our mouth is we cast down imaginations. Part of the meaning for that is conceit. You are conceited if you think what you think is above the word of God. Say amen. <laughs> every high thing, every elevated place. What that really means is the word, it's a, the word barrier. I see people all the time with barriers around their heart when I'm ministering to them. Many times it's unforgiveness. I can't forgive them. Look what they did to me. They don't deserve it. They never asked. That is not why we forgive. The Bible says we forgive others. Why? Because we've been forgiven. And it says if we do not forgive, we won't be forgiven. Who wants to live in that state? No, no way. So there's a barrier because there's unforgiveness. There's lots of things that can cause barriers. Insecurity, comparing yourself to other people, um, not recognizing the value of your life to Christ, that he made you in his image, that he has a purpose specifically and uniquely designed for you. It is so awesome, and it's our job to find out what it is. Okay, so in obedience, it's in a tentative, proactive hearkening to his voice to comply and submit. Okay. So I want to end this by just saying I want to encourage each of us. That I got radical with God about 40 years ago, and this is, I started praying, make me prayers. Not teach me. Not show me. Make me. And it says, teach me and I'll be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. Is there any way, anywhere in my thought life, anywhere in my time constraints, anywhere in my business, anywhere that I am astray, or, so I'll say, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And the reason why make me prayers are good is sometimes our blind spots prevent us from being taught. 
because we think we're all that. So, or we don't think we're all that, and both are terrible. So um, I remember when I started praying, I was praying, uh, you know, I'm, I was pretty self-submission. School was easy for me. I mean, I was a straight-A student. Nothing was hard. Um, I always got what I wanted, and so I was pretty self-sufficient. And I felt like I was saying, teach me to be humble, Lord. I want to be, you described yourself, you could have described yourself with every adjective there was known to man, but you said, you're meek and you're lowly, you're humble. I want to be humble like you. So after about three years, I must not have gotten it because the Lord said, Mary, would you pray this instead? Make me humble. Scared me to death. Literally, it was like, uh, I don't know what will that take to have to go through a windshield now. I'm kidding. But some radical things happened after that, and it was a good thing. So I want to I encourage you, if Jesus described himself as humble, it's something we need to want when we're clothed in humility. And real briefly, would everyone promise to read Psalm 51, 6 through 13? It just talks about the beauty of repentance. So when I read something in the word and my life does not line up with what I'm reading, I need to repent. Repentance is lovely. Repentance, the Bible says, is a gift. It's awesome to walk in repentance. Years ago, I asked Dave, the Lord, why David? Why David? Why do you use the man after your own heart? And the, and the Lord first spoke to me, he says, because he worshiped me in spirit and in truth. Because he understood what radical repentance looked like. He could whine all day from his soul. You don't even care. My bed is wet with tears. But he'd always end up, but you, oh God. You alone, oh God. So it's not that we can't voice our concerns to the Lord or let our soul, you know, go on. But we always come back to the spirit. So it goes on to um, one more last thing. This is what cemented it for me, walking out repentance. Psalm 51, 13. It talks about creating me a clean heart, teach me your ways, cleanse me. But then it says, Psalm 51, 13 says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. Have you ever noticed like 12-step programs? What they do is you get deliverance, you get a victory, and then you teach others how to walk in the way. That word for teach there is the word goad, literally goad, something that urges or stimulates into action. That is my heart, is that I would see disciples activated in the earth. Because in Jesus' day, the disciples turned their world upside down. Who's ready? Amen. Feelings always interpreted through Holy Bible. <laughs> it's good to stand. If you haven't started your walk with Jesus, your spirit's dead, and it needs to be born from above. The only way to have that happen is for you to call on Jesus to save you. He's faithful. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Your job is to open the door and let him in. You do that by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and calling upon him to save you and then embracing in faith that as you've turned fully to him, he is welcoming you. He turns nobody away. If anybody comes to me, I will no wise cast him out. Start your walk with Jesus. Experience the miracle of the new birth.
your spirit coming alive. Many people think starting with Christianity is like turning over a new leaf, but it's not. It's receiving a new life and living with our minds set on what the spirit desires. What does the spirit desire in this moment? Hallelujah. What does the word say? What does the spirit desire? Let's put our hands on our hearts right now. We declare that we are your disciples with experiencing all the joy and love and peace that goes along with that designation. We affirm and declare that being a disciple is not just for people that are somehow radical. We recognize, Jesus, that you are radical and we're in you. And we're hitching our trailer, we're hitching our wagon to you, Jesus. <laughs> We're hitching our life to you. We're going where you're going. You're the one that's leading us, guiding us, blessing us. Still waters and green pastures are our destiny. And we get to teach others. What a, what a blessing. We get to teach others. Mm, your voice on our voice. Thank you for this good word, God. Thank you for the gift Mary is to our congregation and how that was expressed today for life-changing oracles of God preaching. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, we love you and we bless you, Lord Jesus. Love you and we bless you, God. <clears throat> Reminder to the board members and, and uh, staff that we have a, a meeting right after lunch, um, a lunch meeting today. I didn't get to everybody but to remind them, but we have that going on. Everybody, we love you. Jesus loves you. His safety is with you. His angels are with you. His success is on all that you do. Psalm 1. Have a great week. See you next time. <laughs>